0: climate action plan calls for is for all of the electricity that we consume in Grand Marais to be produced from renewable means and so that means that all the stuff that comes through the wires needs to be needs to come from a clean power plant.
1: small town on the north shore of Lake Superior match the ambitious 100% renewable energy commitments of larger cities like Minneapolis or San Diego, Jay aerosmith Decoux is the mayor of Grand Marais, Minnesota, a small community whose climate commitments were driven by activism among the town's young people. With a city-owned utility, Grand Marais is charting a new course to reduce both their reliance on imported energy and their carbon footprint. John Farrell, who directs the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, spoke with Jay to learn more about Grand Marais' progress to transition to cleaner local energy. We also note and apologize for the background noise that you may hear in the first part of this episode. This podcast is the latest episode in our special Voices of 100% series of local energy rules, where we're speaking with local leaders from across the country to understand what has motivated their cities to set ambitious clean energy commitments, how their cities plan to meet their goals, and what these visionaries see as the future of local renewable energy.
2: You're the mayor of Grand Marais. It's a small town on Lake Superior's North Shore, and I'm definitely interested in talking with you about your community's commitment to climate neutrality. But I want to just take one quick second to ask you a different question, which is why are folks in Grand Marais on a wait list for your meat preservation class at the North House Folk (laughs) School? What is so cool about that class?
0: I, I gotta say, man, I didn't expect that that question. Um, it's something that a lot of people want to learn, and, and and there's there's not not a lot of outlets for that. And uh, the beauty of that class is that you get to to spend a ton of time focusing on on um, on a, a traditional craft that directly impacts your nutrition and your and your life. You know, it's something that you can do all the time once you understand the basics of, of how to work with the, work with the meat and how, what, how the equipment works. So, so I think that that's, I think that's a huge part of it is that people, people are, are really eager to get back into those traditional ways of life and, and that, uh, that goes a long way. So, so, so I I guess that's, that's probably the best I can say for
2: that. (laughs) That sounds just fine. I was just curious. It was fun and I Googled you and so that was one of the things that came up. And I was like, wow, this seems really cool. Um, and uh, I, I'll circle back to something sort of related in a way, because I, I think of that as sort of a form of sustainability that people get interested in, you know, in the same way of like eating local or, or other uh, kind of life choices. Uh, and we're going to come back to that word sustainability a little bit later, because I think it uh, is really interesting, you know, and, and there's an interesting way in which it comes up into this conversation. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, something more topical and, and a question you probably were more prepared for, which is that. Uh, you know, the city of Grand Marais has made a commitment to being climate neutral by 2040 uh, and including from the draft climate action plan, 100 percent renewable energy by 2040. Can you explain a little bit about what climate neutral means, like what 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 that commitment means for for the city? And then also, why why is Grand Marais making that commitment?
0: There's there's a bunch of things that go into this, you know, as there should be for anything that's big, um, you know, any municipality or any governmental agency trying to take on something that's big. Um, Grand Marais is, is pretty directly in the, in the way of, um, or in the crosshairs of climate change. We, we experience tremendous, um, tremendous flooding, Where we have experienced tremendous flooding events in the past, in the past ten years, two of which have, um, have been described as, as millennial events. So, so if you're looking at that, you're just like, Wait a minute. How are we describing these events, and and why is this um, why is this happening? You know, like why why is this something that we have to deal with now, when for so long we hadn't had to even think about it? Um, so that's one of the things is that the government, the governmental structure, is seeing this as something that we need to address as we move forward, because because if we don't, then running the government is going to get even more and more expensive, because we we won't be able to we won't be able to, to function in our downtown core area because the the downtown is gonna be flooded. <laughs> you know? Um, we've already put together a plan that, that's you know, if we did everything in the plan, it would be a four million dollar plan um for for stormwater management for the town um, to update our stormwater management um, to to more accurately reflect the events that we've been experiencing. So that's so that's on the ground, like that's real money, and that's that's coming from people who live here, people who choose to live here, and that's something that we don't.
2: For, I was just wondering, if for context, you could like four million could be a lot or a little, depending. But you're you're talking about a community of about five thousand people, so this is a lot of money relative well, no, to like oh,
0: no, we're talking a community of thirteen hundred. Like like this is Grand Marais, this isn't Cook County. Like Cook County itself is five thousand people. Grand Marais is thirteen hundred. So, so, so we're talking about a teeny tiny tax base, and and this is a you know like we're the only city in Cook County, the only municipality in the entire county, and and if you know how is it gonna how are we gonna keep people being able to live here? That's 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 really the the concern is that like it's a somewhat of an existential situation. We are right on the water, and this spring they're talking about about Lake Superior levels being at a An all time high. And if that happens, then, then we are like, we're in the, we're in the crosshairs, man. Like, all of our, our stormwater stuff may not work when the water gets that high. So, yeah. So, so there's, you know, there's, there's a lot more going into it than just that. But that's, that's the, the governmental reality that we're dealing with is that we need to be able to govern. Like, we need to be able to, to actually live here and, and call this place home and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. The other reason we're doing this is that we have this group of really motivated young people called the Nordic Nature Group who have who came to the to the city council and made this request and said, "Hey, we're going to inherit this this planet at some point and we're not pleased with how you guys have been dealing with it and we need you to to do something about that right now because we can't do anything about it right now but you can." And so that that movement is part of the I Matter movement, which I'm sure you've heard of. And um, they they, have, they did a really good job of putting together a presentation and bringing it to the, to the city council, and um, the city council signed on. So that's we want to we want to help you with this. We want to do this. And um, and the resultant from that is the climate action plan, which I sent you a draft from, which is kind of messy. Um, we actually it's kind of nice that we did the, the our little interview today instead of yesterday because yesterday after the funeral, I went to the public utility commission meeting and and asked them if they thought that the draft climate action plan was moving in the right direction and whether or not it's something that that they would that they would promote that they would get on board for and and they were really confused about why we why I wanted to talk to them about it. And I was like, "You guys are the policymakers for the public utility. If you're not on board with this, then we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how we can make this be something that you'll be on board for, um, because it would run into a brick wall, or the city council would have to go over their heads in order to in order to further this." In which case, and I find it hard to believe that the the implementation of a climate action plan would be effective. If if the climate or if the uh, the public utilities weren't even on board, so so they signed up. They signed up. They said that they they agreed that this is the direction to move in, and um, that it's time to to formalize the plan and get it to the to the public. So that's that's all really encouraging news about progress.
2: Yeah. So let let me ask you a little bit more about that because you you just mentioned a, is, is something that I was interested in getting into is this you know, in addition to being uh, a fairly popular tourist destination, Grand Marais is a small community on the North Shore. It's one of a few dozen Minnesota cities and and about 2,000 across the U.S. that actually owns its electric utility. Um, So you have this Public Utilities Commission that is making these decisions. You need their buy-in for the Climate Action Plan. You know, what what does that mean for how the city is getting its energy? Do you have a power plant in town that they manage? Uh, Where does the city get its energy since that's such a, Going to be such a key piece of your climate action work.
0: We purchase all of our electricity, strangely enough, from the Southern Minnesota Municipal Power Agency. Um, and we have purchased our power from them for a very long time. It's, uh, it's an interesting relationship because we're, you know, they are the Southern Minnesota Municipal Power Agency and we are the farthest, one of the farthest northern municipal cities in the state. Um, but, uh, but the, uh, The relationship has been, has been both really good and also kind of, kind of strained at times, uh, due to the fact that, that Simpa has a buy-all-sell-all, uh, policy, and I don't know if you, if you're, I mean, I'm sure you understand that to a certain extent, but, but we need to buy all of our electricity from, from Simpa. So like all the electricity that goes to the public utility, we have to buy from Simpa. And we also need to, uh, we need to. All the electricity that we sell is electricity that that we have to um, we have to get from Simpa. So, so what that means is that when we per start producing our own electricity, we have to produce that electricity and sell it all to Simpa, and then they sell it back to us whenever we produce our own electricity. So that may sound really redundant and really ridiculous. Um, but they've actually been willing to work with us um a reasonable amount to to make sure that we can do that. We put uh I want to say we put forty kilowatts on our um our public works facility last year and um and we have a pretty good arrangement with uh with Simpa that we're buying and selling at the same at the same price so that it's kind of a break even situation.
2: This is great, you're answering my questions ahead of time. So you have this, uh, sometimes they're called these all requirements contracts, but um, it doesn't give you a whole lot of choice. It sounds like you've been able to do some of your own local energy production, but, you know, your goal is 100% renewable. Uh, does that mean that you're looking in the long run to generate all of your energy, you know, nearby to Grand Marais? Are you hoping that Simpa makes some moves on it? And I, one of the things is this sort of circles back to my, my perhaps lame attempt to uh, connect with sustainability uh, your meat preservation class, uh, to this conversation about climate. But I noticed that Simpa has a page on sustainability on their website where they're really interested in making sure people don't think of that word just in terms of the environment. Uh, there it's, and so it didn't seem to me like after reading that page uh, that they were going to be super interested in saying, yeah, we can get to hundred percent renewable by 2040 or some other date. Uh, and make sure that all your electricity is coming from renewable resources. And so I'm just kind of curious about, do you feel like they're going to be able to help you do that, or is there a way that Grand Marais can generate its own energy? What do you see as the path there working with them uh, to get to your goals?
0: Well, there's there's two answers to that. Uh, the first answer to that is, um, with the same question, two different answers. So the first one is, yeah, they can help us get there. The way that they can help us get there is by selling us wind power. And there's already, Simpa has already purchased into a massive, uh, solar, or a massive wind, wind power, uh, plant that's down in south, um, southwestern Minnesota. And so they have all of these credits for, for electricity. And we could buy credits from them. And then we would just be like, great, we're completely climate neutral. But that doesn't completely meet our needs as far as it being locally produced renewable energy. We need to make sure, and what we want to do, and what the Climate Action Plan calls for, is for all of the electricity that we consume in Grand Marais to be produced from renewable means. And so that means that all the stuff that comes through the wires needs to be, needs to come from a clean power plant. And, and that's where the sticky wicket comes from because Simpa's, all of Simpa's generation comes in southern, is, is located in southern Minnesota. We are not. Um, the actual moving electrons that we consume are produced by other plants that are up here in northern Minnesota, and most of those plants are either natural gas or coal. So um, so that's where we're Simpa can't really help us because they don't have any power over those plants. What we're hoping to do is we're hoping to to try and find some ways to lessen our requirements of electricity from outside sources, which could be solar, could be um, you know limited hydro, could be wind to a certain extent. Um, but there are challenges to each of those, to each of those renewable uh, elements that we run into <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, hydro, we we don't have the significant that significant of an amount of Of flowing water year round to be able to, to operate something like that. Solar, you know, in the winter, we don't get much sunlight. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, and then wind, uh, is a big concern for migrating birds because the, the migration patterns go right along the ridge, which is where all the wind is. So that's going to be a definite concern. And, um, to a certain extent, simple will be able to help us, but they also won't be able to help us with with that part of our goal, um, local production. That's going to have to be driven by, um, by other, uh, other power companies, other communities, and also our own community as we bolster our own di- distributed generation plan. So.
1: You're listening to an interview with Jay Aerosmith-Dekou, mayor of Grand Marais, Minnesota, as part of our Voices of 100% series of Local Energy Rules. Do you know any folks we should interview about 100% renewable energy commitments in their communities? If so, please send us an email at voicesof100 at ILSR.org. That's voicesof100 at ILSR.org. Stay tuned for the rest of this episode after a short message from our Energy Democracy Initiative Director, John Farrell.
2: Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. So one of the things, I I got a chance to read the draft climate action plan, or at least to skim through it uh, yesterday, and I'm curious, uh, you know, the renewable electricity obviously is one really fundamental piece to it because energy is such a big uh component of your greenhouse gas emissions but um I'm curious you know what are two other initiatives that are part of that plan that you think could have a big impact either on, on emissions or on the local economy um and and for example do you have anything that focuses on like low income folks that's been a big part of other climate and energy work that we've seen you know either helping them save energy or you know get part, get to be part of a community solar array or or, or something like that
0: we have talked about community solar, um, as a possibility and also, you know, there's been a fair amount of excitement in, um, the different communities of faith up here too. Like, church groups are actually interested in putting solar panels on their, on their church buildings. Because so these church buildings have these massive, massive south-facing roof lines. Um, uh, but we haven't been able to figure out how that works with a simple contract, um, because the churches just want to lease out their roofs, you know. And somebody has to own and operate that community solar then, and it can't be the city because we can't buy or sell from anyone other than, other than simple. So, so that's, that's kind of, that's been kind of a, a stumbling block, so to speak, uh, for trying to figure that out. Other parts of the plan that we've identified, now electricity is the biggest one. So, so that, that one, you know, is more than half of, of our total greenhouse gas emissions is our electricity consumption. Um, but then, what we have is we also have um we also have transportation uh and we're this next year we're putting in the first uh electric car charging uh, stations in the city and uh so that's part of that plan um but that's also something that needs to be driven on a national level because we are not going to single handedly change the auto industry uh you know, to to start producing more and more and more electric cars, which hopefully they still do. Another thing that we can deal with is we can deal with waste. Uh, there has been talk about creating a composting uh, system here uh, in Cook County that would compost the majority of the organic waste that is produced, and that would reduce our uh, the amount of money that we have to pay for shipping our garbage down down the shore. Uh, little known fact. There is no garbage dump in Cook County. Um, all of the waste that is produced in Cook County is trucked via dump truck to Duluth. So that's the nearest, the nearest dump that we, that we utilize. So, so huge carbon footprint on that. You know, every day there's a dump truck that goes down to Duluth that dumps off our trash from up here. So it's a pretty ridiculous, pretty ridiculous thing. Um, so if we can remove all the organics, we can reduce, um, you know, several hundred tons of garbage a, uh, a year from having to be hauled down to Duluth and disposed of. And it also creates a resource up here, which soil we don't have any soil. <laughs> so those are, those are a couple of them. Um, one of the big, the big issues that we have that we're, we're still struggling with is, is home heating. Um, home heating is, is a huge consumer of fossil fuels. Up here, we don't have natural gas in the in the community. We have propane tanks. Like everybody has their own propane tank or fuel oil tank. Um there are a couple of houses up here that are off-peak um off-peak electric, but generally what people say about the off-peak electric is that it's tremendously expensive to heat a house that way. Um even with the off-peak so we're we're trying to to crack that code. That's a pretty tricky one, though. As far as um, what kind of incentives can we put forward, we've been talking. The public utility has been talking about potentially uh, having some kind of a, of a incentive to put a high efficiency electric off boiler in, or you know off heaters into your into your house. That would then um, that would then get you off of fossil fuels and get you onto electricity if we get more people onto electricity, then we know what the consumption is that we have to produce in order to be clean, um, and that's so that electrification is, is something we're we're going to talk about incentivizing. Um, we had talked about I don't know if you if you were aware of this. We had talked about and developed a plan for a biomass district heating plant um, for for Grand Marais, which would have serviced. Uh, all of the government buildings and potentially the downtown area. Um, but the the initial cost to get it built in such were so astronomical that we couldn't by- feasibly do that, especially as long as propane stayed
2: cheap. So, um, Do you guys, uh, sorry to go in technical weeds a little bit, but I know that no, there has been for some other... Uh, Interest in like cold climate heat pumps. Uh, You know, obviously it gets a little too cold, and especially when it's polar vortex cold, they don't even really work. Uh, But for most of the year round, they can do heating and cooling, and they also, I believe, can be used for hot domestic hot water. So you'd have to have a backup, but um, my understanding is that they're way more efficient than like an electric boiler or electric resistance heating. Um, but the problem right now is just sort of, especially in these really cold climates like, you know, Grand Marais or even in Minneapolis, there's a limit to how much they work in the winter. Are you looking at those at all?
0: You know, we haven't really been looking at those. Uh, one of the other options that we've been looking at that is actually surprisingly efficient up here, uh, it still requires a backup of course, but still surprisingly efficient is, uh, is just simply solar thermal. Um. In the polar vortex situation, you know, it was so, so cold, but it was sunny. So there's a couple of families up here that have, um, that have off peak, or not off peak. There's a couple of families up here that have, that have solar thermal set up. And when it was negative 12 degrees outside, they were producing 120 degree water for their, for their house. You know, that, that kind of a thing is, is something that we need to take a look at, um, as far as, as a possibility. The pumps we haven't looked we haven't looked at very um, very hard.
2: I was hoping to just wrap up with uh uh kind of a standard question that I ask a lot of communities that have made uh, fairly substantial climate commitments uh, like Grand Marais has done, which is, you know, it's one of over a hundred cities across the country that have made a hundred percent renewable energy commitment. And like what advice would you give to other communities that are starting down this path, whether they're having a debate at City Council about it or maybe there's a group that's organizing in the community? How do you get started on it? How do you, I mean, how do you get that kind of commitment made? But then, what do you recommend they're thinking about as they're making that commitment about how they can actually accomplish it?
0: That's a really good question. In our experience, specifically, there is, you know, we had a, a pretty significant push going, um, you know, towards doing something like this, and that was from the from the kids in the community. Um, so that may not happen in every every single community, but when they start looking at at uh, a climate action plan or climate neutrality or, or however you want to phrase it um, the biggest thing that I can say to encourage uh, other municipalities is that you know you you really do have a couple of choices here you have a choice to to do this do this now and be ahead of the game or do this later and be kind of struggling to catch up and and that's that's where that's where we feel like a big motivation for us is to try and get the, the groundwork laid for this, so that when um, when resources start becoming available on the state and federal level, because we realize that this is actually a really big deal and we really need to address this as soon as we can, that then you have the the framework and the rubric in place that you can go for it. That's that's what I have, you know. That's that's from my personal experience. The other thing is you've got to be really careful not to get down in the weeds right away. You have to identify what you're trying to do um, and then, and then keep on it. But a lot of that is just straight up brainstorming and stealing shamelessly from other, from other organizations that have already done the same work. And there is nothing wrong with that. Like we're all trying, we're trying to do something here that's going to impact the future generations of the planet. It does not matter if we borrow, uh, information or models from other from other cities you you know just just use it go for it we need to we need to work together if we're going to solve this problem so that might might be a bit of a long-winded way of saying it but
2: <laughs> i think it's great and it it's uh, in some ways no better way to wrap up because of course we're just wrapping up a podcast in which hopefully folks from other communities across the country can take a little inspiration about what grand marais is committing to even as a small community and learn that it is possible to take action at that scale and that there are some lessons that they can learn as well. So Jay, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and if I mean if anybody does get motivated by this and wants to and wants to have a discussion about it, I'm I'm totally game for that.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% series, where our host John Farrell was speaking with Jay aerosmith Decoux, mayor of Grand Marais, Minnesota, about the city's commitment to clean energy and some of the lessons this small town has learned as it transforms its energy system. To learn about other challenges small cities have faced in their pursuit of local clean energy, we recommend listening to our recent podcast episode with Bill Schnell from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, one of more than 70 past episodes released as part of our Local Energy Rules podcast. To learn more about cities that have made ambitious commitments to 100% renewable energy and how they are meeting these goals, check out other episodes produced as part of this Voices of 100% series and explore ILSR's interactive Community Power Map, which is available at ILSR.org. While you're on our website, you can also sign up for one of our newsletters and connect with us on social media. Tune back into Local Energy Rules, now every two weeks, to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local and thanks for listening.